0: So, we are thinking about the resurrection pretty much every year as we come up to these big events like Christmas and Easter. i kind of thinking, what is, what is God saying? What's significant for me? What should I be listening to? And the, thing, the, the, the big thing uh, that has been a focus in my mind is, is this fact of the resurrection. I use that word intentionally, fact. And C.S. Lewis in the book Miracles says the first fact in the history of Christendom is a number of people who say they have seen the resurrection. If they had died without making anyone else believe this gospel, no gospels would ever have been written. But the fact is that they did believe, and the gospels were written. And it's worthy of noting at this point in time that the New Testament writings are the most reliable ancient writings that we have. The most reliable, due to the number of uh, manuscripts, the amount of quotations, the time period between things happening and being uh, written down. All of these things make the New Testament one of the most reliable books that we have on the planet. And John Lennox puts it this way, Christianity won its way by dint of sheer way of evidence that one man has actually risen from the dead. Jesus said himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not only does he have life, he is life. Paul, as he's writing to the Colossians, says this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created. Later on it says he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. How could death hold the very author and sustainer of life? doesn't make sense, does it? Jesus is the very essence of life. Death couldn't hold him. After all, as Diamond said, it was God who did it. Not just a God, but the God. The God of the whole show. Nothing can hold Jesus down because his Father is the God of the whole show. Jesus himself is God. And the resurrection is the key message of the church as it begins to flourish. And it does say that some doubted. Some people have a question mark, even in the day when it happened. Listen to this, the women's testimony, when they came back from the tomb and they told the disciples about the news, they did not believe the women. They didn't believe because their words seemed to them like nonsense. I'll avoid making any comments. (laughs) Okay? They didn't believe the women. The disciples, whom Jesus had been telling, this is going to happen, and it happens, and they hear that He's risen from the dead on the testimony of the women, they go, I write. Don't believe it. How can that be possible? But then Jesus comes and He appears to them. But then there's somebody missing. Who was missing? Thomas, thank you. And Thomas had doubts as well. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. Thomas doubted. When Jesus appeared to many of the disciples, it says when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Even after the fact, even after this stuff had happened, it was all live. It was happening at the time, and some people doubted. Do you know, it's almost impossible to think that there would be people who didn't doubt. And in a strange way, these stories of people who had doubts... For me, it only adds to the weight of evidence that what the disciples are recording here, what the apostles are recording, is what actually happened. It adds to the authenticity of the story. People don't come back to life again. Why would you make up a story? But the reality is that he appeared over an extended period of time to many, many people. And there's no escaping the facts It says in Luke, uh, Luke says, sorry, in the book of Acts, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Luke doesn't go into all the details about the convincing proofs. But we know that it's true. Because the Bible, and we can have confidence in it. Ian, you keep reminding me this all the time. We can have confidence in this book. It's the most reliable book that we have. Historically accurate. But it's also a life-giving book. It's not just empty words. It's words that as they sink into our spirit, generate, create life within us. And then Paul, he's speaking to the Corinthians a little while later on. And he says this, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Robert already alluded to that this morning. At Christmas time we were in here thinking about the probability of only eight predictions, prophecies coming true in one man, at one time, in one place. Only eight. And somebody worked out that the chances of that happen was something like, I can't remember the exact statistic, but it was something like 100 million to one. And that's only eight of those predictions. On the third day he was raised according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Peter. Then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 people. 500 of the brothers at the same time. And listen to this. Most of whom are still living. Though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles. And last of all he appeared to me also. As to one abnormally born Jesus appeared to these people and they are eyewitnesses of it John Warwick Montgomery and I found this quote in uh, Josh McDowell's book Evidence That Demands a Verdict and it's worth reading And he says, note that when the disciples of Jesus proclaimed the resurrection, they did so as eyewitnesses. And they did so while people were still alive who had contact with the events that they spoke of. In 56 AD, Paul wrote that over 500 people had seen the risen Christ and that most of them were still alive. And he says it passes the bounds of credibility that the early Christians could have manufactured such a tale and then preached it among those who might easily have refuted it simply by producing the body of Jesus. And as I read the Easter story this year, it's that little thought that slapped me on the back of the head. That the people at the time could have said... (laughs) Martin was slapping me in the back of the head the other night. That's why he's laughing. The people at the time could easily have said, Jesus is alive. Let's go and have a wee look in the tomb then. Let's go and we'll find his body there and we'll prove that you're wrong. Even Paul, when he was talking to... Festus and then to King Agrippa he says uh, sorry, Festus is speaking speaking to Agrippa and talking about Paul, saying when Paul's accusers got to speak they did not charge him with any of the crimes I expected instead they had some points of dispute about him, uh, with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus whom Paul claimed was alive but yet Nobody could offer any proof. Paul was on trial in front of a Roman court. And these people demanded evidence. And nobody could provide evidence. And it says that Paul claimed that Jesus was alive. That wasn't just a one-off. It was something that he kept doing. If you look at the language, it says that he kept on claiming. He kept coming back to the same point that Jesus was alive. And it strikes me today that the people who would bring the accusations that the resurrection didn't happen can't provide any proof either. I would like to hear the evidence against and providing some of the evidence for. For me, the jury's in. The jury's made a decision. The jury said that he has risen and that he's alive. And because of that, he has the power to transform and change our lives. Why is the jury out? I reckon the jury's out for one simple reason. Listen to this. There was a bus ad uh, campaign a few few years ago that was jointly sponsored by the Humanist Society, Richard Dawkins, and the Atheist Campaign. And this is the ad on the side of the bus. There's probably no God... Now stop worrying and enjoy your life. That was what was on the side of the buses down in London. There's probably no God. Now stop worrying and enjoy your life. And because, I'm not going to say that. Intelligent people who would say there's probably no God. And they can't say for sure that there is no God. I would ask to see the evidence. Where is the evidence that Jesus hasn't risen from the dead? And let's have a discussion. And Peter says this uh, when he's addressing the crowd on the day of Pentecost. God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to... To keep its hold on him. And then Peter goes on to quote Psalm 16. And he says this Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried in his tomb is here to this day. And he can make that that, uh, claim with utter confidence because they could have went to David's tomb and proved that that was correct. And yet he just as confidently affirms that this Jesus whom you crucified has risen from the dead. And that day over 3,000 people are added to the church in one moment. 3,000 people. Jewish people from all over the region who had come together for Pentecost. 3,000 of those people and any one of those 3,000 including the Jewish leaders and including the Romans who had pronounced him dead could have said okay let's go and have a wee look, let's open up the tomb, let's just see if what you're saying is true nobody did because they couldn't contest it and yet people disbelieved when uh, Paul was speaking to Agrippa Agrippa said are you trying to convert me He's trying to make me a Christian, and Paul says, "I wish everybody could become a Christian." But the bottom line is, we can't force people to believe. And then we read how the church goes into a time of persecution, and the gospel is opposed, and it's try. There's this attempt. To extinguish this gospel message, not because of arguments or because of reason or because of evidence. They try to oppose it using force, using violence. And we read how the early church is persecuted. And despite fierce opposition, the church grew, it grew rapidly. Even Paul, who had been one of those people who had been persecuting the church, taking people captive, putting them in prison, doing all sorts of nasty things to people, simply for being a Christian. Paul himself was one of those people who took that viewpoint and who tried to extinguish the fledgling church. But here's the reality. Paul himself met the risen Christ on the road to, to Damascus, and it changed his outlook entirely. He went from being somebody who was all out and persecuting the church to somebody who was preaching this good news of the kingdom. Even the the, the Christians were scared because they thought, he's having a laugh here. He's not really a Christian. He's just trying to kind of wheel his way in and he's going to find out all about us. But the reality is, that he became a Christian, a follower of Jesus, after that encounter. There's a rumour, uh, and it's written down by a man called Tacitus, who was a Roman historian. And uh, whether people believe this or not, uh, he reports that Nero was the one who started the great fire of Rome. Have you ever heard that saying, fiddle while Rome burns? You heard that saying? And it's based on this story by Tacitus that Nero, for whatever reason, set part of Roman fire and while it was burning, he stood and played his lyre and watched Rome burn. And the story goes that he blamed the Christians for doing this and then went all out against the Christians and started to persecute them. And because the boys and girls are still here, I'm not going to read out some of the things that they did. But the reality is that despite this persecution, the church grew, and it grew rapidly. I want to suggest to you that the evidence for the resurrection is so great that we can't deny it. And if Jesus is who he says he is, and he has risen, and he is the Son of God, and I believe that he has done these things, and that he is, and that he has power... He has power to change us and to change the circumstances that we're in, to change us in the circumstances sometimes. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that works in us. And my encouragement to myself and to all of us, is that we grasp hold of this fact of the resurrection and we allow this truth to sink deep into our spirits. And when we hear people opposing it, we say, Ah, but what about, and what about, and what about? How would you explain that? How would you explain that? What's your thoughts? But let's demonstrate that God raise Jesus from the dead, and that Jesus is powerful, let's demonstrate that through the way that we live our lives, the way that we deal with the circumstances, the way that we deal with the situations, and let's allow his power to work in us. My encouragement is that we stop long enough, that we look deep enough, and that we listen attentively enough to the evidence. And it's not difficult to be convinced that Jesus was in fact crucified at the hands of the Romans through the instigation of these Jewish leaders. That he died, was buried, and rose again on the third day. And it's difficult to deny in a world where 2.2 billion people claim to be Christians... 2.2 billion people claim to be Christians following this person called Jesus almost 2,000 years after the fact. And for me, you don't need to go into the historical evidence. All you need to do is look around you and see what is happening in our world today when the church gets this message that Jesus has risen and that he can make a difference in our lives. He can make a difference in our communities through us. And the evidence is overwhelming. It's difficult to argue with it. My encouragement is that we grasp hold of this. And if you do have doubts, interesting that you shared that this morning, Robert. Because in the ever-increasing barrage of secular thought that pervades our media in the the UK, it's, it's relentless. And it makes you ask questions. It makes you wonder if what you believe really is true. But let's go back to scripture. Let's realize that we can stand on God's word. And if you don't believe it, put it to the test for yourself. Okay? We can believe this message. And I encourage each of us to demonstrate to this world that this message is true by changing the way that we live our lives. By looking at the way we deal with circumstances. By looking at the way that we love God. One another. One of the key messages in the prayer initiative that's happening a week tomorrow in Kirkishots and will happen here on Tuesday morning, one of the key messages behind that is the church being in unity. Psalm 133 is one of the key messages. Going into John talking about unity, I can't remember the reference off the top of my head. But the key behind this is about the church standing together, standing in unity and praying and believing that God will do something different and new in our nation. And I believe that it's coming. And I believe that we are all called to be part of that. So let's just pray. And let's just ask God to really sink these truths into our heart. Father, we pray that they would be embedded in the very depths of us. Father, that as we read the Gospels, Father, maybe even for some of us we'll read them today again, and just look at these words which describe a miraculous event. Father, an event which people got hold of, talked about, But, Father, more than an event, a reality as your Holy Spirit comes and takes these truths and embeds them in our lives. Father, it's a reality that changes us on the inside, changes the way we live, changes the way we think, changes society, changes our hearts. As we turn around and come back to you and face this incredible God who is powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead. Father, help us to realize that today you are able to change the things that we are struggling with. You are able to come into those situations and you're able to turn things around and demonstrate that same power. Father, we pray that you would revive us. Father, revive us that we might rejoice in you. Father, we pray that you do a work by your Spirit in our hearts. Father, that you would anoint us with your Spirit, that you would empower us, and that we would go out this week into all that it holds and be your ambassadors, to be your witnesses. And so, Father, give us that sensitivity in our hearts to hear the things which you're saying and to be obedient to the things which you're saying to us. So Father, we thank you for this Easter day. We thank you for the reality that Jesus has risen. That it's not a full stop, not even a comma. But Father, it's an exclamation, an exclamation of our faith. And Lord, we pray that many in our country today would understand that exclamation and put their trust in you. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.